Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. We're going to finish the scripture reading for this morning, picking up at verse 19, James 1. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A long time ago, a really long time ago, I was a child in this church. It was so long ago that Dr. Paul Stumpf was the pastor. In those days, children went to Sunday school while the parents came to worship until eighth grade. In eighth grade, when we were going to be confirmed, we were required to go to worship every Sunday. And during those Sundays in worship, we had to choose at least ten sermons that we would outline as part of our confirmation process. On the weeks when I wasn't madly trying to create an outline, however, I would study the bulletin during the sermon and do a little daydreaming. I mean, isn't that what sermons are for? Back in those days, the bulletin was pretty basic. It was just eight and a half by 11 piece of paper folded in half. You all have a lot more to read while I preach. At the end of the bulletin, after the postlude, a line was drawn across the bulletin, just like I noticed it is drawn across the back of our bulletin today, except that under that line on the left-hand side, it said, Worship Ends, and on the right-hand side, it said, Service Begins. Worship Ends. Service begins. I should probably be a little embarrassed to tell you how many weeks I pondered those four words during the sermon. In my home and even here at church, the 11 o'clock hour was referred to as the worship service. So I was puzzled as to why those words were separated 
at the end of the church bulletin. Eventually, the light dawned. This little epistle of James, tucked almost at the end of our New Testament, is often overlooked and underrated by scholars, by theologians, and by preachers. Martin Luther, one of the great leaders of the Reformation, the movement that separated the Protestants from the Roman Catholics, he called it an epistle of straw, feeling that it was worthless, meaningless. In Luther's thinking, James taught works righteousness, which was very contrary to Paul's theological stance on saved being saved by grace. Other scholars find fault with the fact that James only mentions Jesus Christ a few times in this epistle that really reads like five short sermons. But in spite of centuries of objection, the epistle remains in the canon, that group of literature that we know as God's word, our holy scripture. And it has significant purpose. In fact, it leads us down the same road as that old church bulletin. James teaches us that when worship ends, service begins. The epistle of James is in many ways a prescription for theological integrity. In other words, James teaches us to be Christians that not only talk the talk, but know how to walk the talk. James would not argue at all with Paul's point that we are saved by grace. In fact, he highlights that in the verses that Ty read. Every generous act of giving... Every perfect gift is from above. Everything comes from God, according to James, and because everything comes from God, we are encouraged, even commanded, to devote ourselves in service to this God who gives us all things. Further, our devotion to God requires that we live our lives, our everyday lives, in a way that matches and intersects with what we say we believe on Sunday morning. Be doers of the word, writes James, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. In other words, in James, the rubber meets the road, and sometimes that road hits us right between the eyes. And that may be why preachers avoid it at times. James wants our thinking and our actions to be congruent, to be the same. He wants us to remember that we're not just here to worship one hour a week, but when our worship ends, we go out and our service begins. James addresses a congregation or congregations like you and me. People who find themselves in many different places with many different people throughout the week. Right after our reading for today ends, it's a reading that some may hear next week, he tells his congregation that people with gold rings shouldn't be treated any differently than the people who come into the assembly in dirty clothes. His lessons are tough, 
and quite often push us into places where we are not always comfortable. What if one of our gentlemen from PADS program came in and sat beside you right now? Would you greet him or would you scoot over just a little? How do we greet people that come to our worship that are different than we are, that don't look the same, don't act the same, that we have never seen before? Is our worship disrupted? Or are we able to remember in those moments that worship and service are bound together? Think about this question with me. Why are we here today? Why are any of us here this morning? Do we come out of habit? Or because we have said we would do something, usher or greet or make the coffee or be part of the music? Do we come because we are paid to be here? Or do we come to see our friends? Or maybe because our parents made us? There's a story, you may have heard it before, about a mother who wakes up her son for church. He pulls the covers over his head and says, leave me alone, I'm too tired, I'm not going. And she rubs his back and encourages him to get up. You'll feel better once you get up. I don't want to get up, he says. I'm not going to church today. Nobody at church likes me. In exasperation, the mother stops with the gentle touch and tells him he has to get up and go to church anyway. Why, he complains and whines. Because, she says resolutely, you are the pastor. You see, some Sundays even the paid staff finds it hard to get here. When we are here for Sunday worship, I would venture to guess that we come for a variety of reasons. We do come to see our friends, and we do come because our parents make us. We come to worship because it's part of the fabric of our lives, because the week just doesn't feel right if we don't come to worship. We may come to worship because we want to know what is Alex Lane going to say this week? Or we come because we like the music. Or maybe we come to worship because we think it's good for us or it's just the right thing to do. And while all those reasons are very good reasons for coming to worship, they are not enough reasons. James teaches us that the real reason for worship and for being present in worship is so that we can be nourished and supported for the service that we do Monday through Saturday. Worship can be the start of our week, but even when it includes something as marvelous as Mozart's Requiem, It cannot be the end of our week, nor should it be the high point of our week. Worship ends. Service begins. James reminds us in a very direct way that in order for us to have that theological integrity, in order for us to walk the talk when we leave worship, We must put our words into action. 
We cannot just listen and sing about the love of God. Our faith will not grow or mature if all we do is come to worship and bask in light of our forgiveness and our chosen status as the beloved children of God. James reminds us that we must and we can show our devotion to God through what we're doing out in the world. We can encounter the God we love beyond the beauty of the sanctuary, the delighted smiles of our friends, the familiar handshake of the people we've known for years. We encounter God not only in preaching and teaching from the pulpit or in the anthems and hymns that are sung or the prayers that are prayed, but also in the faces of the homeless that come to our summer suppers. We encounter the living God in the touch of a dying woman, in the grasp of a man lost in the world of Alzheimer's. We encounter God when we stop long enough to truly listen to a friend who has lost a job or whose marriage is falling apart. In fact, James tells us, the opportunities to encounter God are far greater beyond this place than they are within it. Now you all have been reading, maybe even while I've been preaching, about all the opportunities there are for fellowship and service in this congregation as we move into our fall program year. Alex talked about some of them in the announcements. Sometimes people think a busy church means a healthy church, and it may. Sometimes people think that church people just thrive on having too much to do and bragging about how many nights a week they can find themselves at church. The fact is that the education that's provided for adults and children on Sunday and on Wednesday are opportunities for us to grow, to spiritually mature, so that we can engage in service beyond those hours. You're being invited to attend a meeting on either the 16th or the 23rd to talk about and discuss the opportunities for a church-wide mission program, something in which we can all engage together. Again, another opportunity for service that goes beyond our worship. And last week, you sent three people to Stephen Ministry Leadership Training. Most of you probably didn't know that. As training goes, this training is expensive, and it is intense. About 50 hours worth of training, Monday through Friday, that I was privileged to participate in, as were Beth Drost and Larry Hayes. You have three newly trained Stephen leaders in your congregation now. And I thank you for making it possible, through your generous giving, for us to attend that training. The three of us are charged with the task of beginning Stephen ministry in our church. It's a distinctively Christian, caregiving ministry. Please watch this video. 
Stephen Ministry is a place where people can come who are hurting. Could be from a loss of a family member. It could be a loss of a job. It's a caring ministry. It's for people who are going through crisis in their life. As a caregiver in the Stephen Ministry, I walk alongside and show Christ's love to the care receivers. Typically, the care receiver themselves comes up with the answer, but it is process-oriented, not results-oriented. We're not there to fix them. But they need a Christian friend to sound it out and to listen to them in a confidential manner. Typically, we will meet with our care receivers about an hour and a half a week. It's an opportunity for the person to just share whatever they're ready for that day. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. the, The key is to make them feel very comfortable. To listen to them intently. And ask her, what are your prayer needs? What should we pray for this week? And during my prayer time, I pray for her. That's the gift that Christ gives us, the gift of mercy. No one likes to go through pain alone, and it's a good opportunity to lead them to Christ if they're not already, or to strengthen their walk. We are the caregiver, and Christ is in the center as the caregiver in all the situations. We can help them to be uplifted and be closer to God through this uh, crisis. He's using me and the other Stephen ministers as his ambassadors to show that he does exist and that he does love his children. And it's just very rewarding to, to know that you've helped someone walk a very difficult path and to get them to the other side. Over the next several weeks, Beth, Larry, and I will be recruiting people who want to be Stephen ministers people who possess a level of spiritual maturity and who know how to listen and keep confidence. We will train you, and it's a long training, 50 hours of training for a Stephen minister. We will continue to work with you to pair you with a care receiver, and we will supervise you while you participate in this one-on-one distinctively Christian caregiving. It's a fairly significant time commitment for a volunteer, about 10 to 12 hours a month. It is also an outstanding way to create a culture of compassion and service in our congregation, a culture that will also extend beyond our congregation and provide a way for us to engage in service when worship is over. I invite you to think again about the question, why do we come here on Sunday morning? My prayer is that we all come here because it supports the Christian life that we live Monday through Saturday. This worship hour supports us at home and in the workplace so that we can be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger. It supports us on the soccer field and in the football stadiums and in the marching bands. We come here on Sunday to encounter God through worship so that we are even more ready to see our living God in the eyes of those we encounter throughout the week. We come here to worship 
so that we may indeed lead lives marked by our service. We come here so that we can leave here demonstrating our love, serving God's people, and being doers of the word. When worship ends, the service begins. May it be so for you and for me. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.